Janet Yellen has announced that debt servicing costs will be 1% of GDP over the next decade, which is probably a little bit lower than you may have been thinking. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics on a Thursday morning, October 12th. Hope you're all doing well out there and celebrating the great news as Janet Yellen has announced that the U.S. debt interest expense is actually just going to be 1% of GDP over the next decade, which is different than many people had been thinking, especially as that interest expense has been soaring. So we are going to dig into this great revelation and the wonderful news that that is. Also had inflation numbers out and a whole bunch of other things happening, which we will dig through today. Of course, touch on gold and silver in there as well. So welcome on in. Great to have you here. And let's get right to it because, as I mentioned, the headline this week actually came out last week. We mentioned it briefly, but Janet Yellen has announced that debt servicing costs will be 1% of GDP over the next decade, which is probably a little bit lower than you may have been thinking, because if we take a quick look here, we see we're up to 33 and a half trillion in US national debt. We'll leave those things like unfunded liabilities and social security and Medicare aside, although we'll have a interesting note on that later in today's broadcast. And if we take a look here and see the average monthly interest rates on U.S. total debt currently up to 2.92%, which brings us at 33.5 trillion times 0 0.292, a $978 billion interest expense. And if you compare that to the 27.06 trillion GDP that the BEA of the government has calculated, that gets us to 3.6%. So to meet Janet's mandate of 1%, obviously we have some work to do and I know everybody is, oh, and there she is herself popping up on our screen, everybody's favorite. And perhaps the good news is that we're going to get massive deficit reduction, cuts in spending while GDP continues to grow, which is obviously what we've all been hoping for. Although I like the way this article phrases it down here as Michael Leibowitz says that the odds of unicorns spraying rainbows across the sky and the government running a surplus are basically the same at 0%. So is it possible that Janet could actually be correct? And amazingly enough, I'm going to agree with her on this one in that there actually is a pretty decent chance that this could happen, although perhaps not in an ideal way that you would hope for. Although if she does meet that mandate, certainly would be good news for gold and silver holders. And amazingly, I think there is a good chance of this happening. Here we see the chart of interest expense, which has been soaring quite rapidly. And as Michael mentions here, interest expense has increased more in the last three years than in the 50 years prior. Janet surely understands the situation we're in and that it's not really too feasible given the current debt levels. Although, what is the one variable in here that could actually bring this into place? And of course, that is interest rates. As he mentions here, as a quick example, if $1 trillion of debt with a 4% coupon matures and the Treasury replaces it with 2%, with $2 trillion at a 2% coupon, 
interest expense doesn't change despite doubling the debt. And whether that's what Janet was implying or not, that actually is the way that this could actually happen where we get debt servicing costs at 1% because basically the way that this could all happen is with lower interest rates, which I think is what a lot of us are expecting. The commentary out of the Fed has been even with the current interest rate hiking cycle in their summary of economic projections, they've had in there for the past year rates coming down in 2024 and 2025. Now they've changed the amounts of those rate cuts, but I point that out to say that it's not just me or other people in the silver and gold community who are talking about them eventually cutting rates, but that's even them talking about cutting rates. And of course, they're factoring in the possibility of a soft landing or avoiding a recession and cutting rates just in that environment, let alone that you have a severe recession, which would likely see them cut rates even more substantially than what they have in their economic projections. And certainly something that I'm expecting. And the idea that we do get down to 1% or 0% interest rates in the Fed funds rate, not too far-fetched given some of the things that are going on. Obviously, the big supply of debt that's coming on the market now that has to be rolled over. I believe there's about $5 trillion that has to be rolled over next year, pile on the deficit on top of that. And also, it looks like about half of the debt outstanding is going to have to be rolled over in the next two years. So certainly would leave an even higher interest rate expense. Unfortunately, seeing this chart here soaring quite a bit. Now, one of the things you might say is that, all right, well, isn't there the possibility that the government could cut spending and GDP would continue to grow? Unfortunately, that doesn't seem too plausible because one of the reasons that we continue to see GDP growing right now is because there's so much government spending. That's one of the inputs into the GDP formula. So even if you did have a scenario where the government balanced the budget or <laughs> don't laugh, but the wild scenario in which we were running a surplus, you would have to see GDP reverse quite drastically because without the government spending in there, you're going to have a lot of money coming out of the economy and going to see a decrease in that GDP. So unfortunately, this leaves the only other outcome is that you would have a much lower interest rate. And here, Michael mentions the more likely, albeit still optimistic scenario, involves debt and GDP growing at the same rate. Let's assume interest rates remain at current levels. And we assume average borrowing costs of 4.75%. And under this realistic picture, interest would climb to 5.6% of GDP. Only variable in that equation that could make Janet Yellen correct is the future interest rate. And in time, that would necessitate an average interest rate of 0.85%, which would put the nation's interest expense at 1% of GDP. So when Janet Yellen tells us that the debt cost to GDP will be 1% over the next 10 years, she is really saying interest rates will be below 1% over the next 10 years, which is obviously in many ways not ideal. That would be similar to what we had the last 10 years, which gave us these bubbles that were now watching the Fed try and undo as inflation remains high, which again, we'll touch on in a moment. So in in net, yes, is it, po is it possible that we could see the interest expense be 1% of GDP? Yes, although that's going to require a lot more money printing, a lot of lower interest rates, and also the Fed buying a lot of this debt because we're already seeing 
other countries and some of our largest bondholders get concerned about the debt loads at four and a half percent interest rate on four and a half percent plus on the U.S. 10 year. And obviously, if you're lowering rates and the return that you're giving investors as inflation continues to soar, not really the all time best investment. So interesting. Uh, I did notice today on the U.S. debt clock, you can see in the upper right corner, they also have a projection of on this day and in 2027 at current levels shows the U.S. debt at 45 trillion. So 12 trillion higher in just four years from now. A little disturbing to see that and the fact that it could actually possibly be higher given some of these dynamics that we've just discussed is really concerning and why I think you continue to see in addition to the fact that rates are going up, the Fed has talked about higher for longer. I think there is concern. I wouldn't say that the market is fearing that the U.S. is on the verge of default, although based on the things I read and the people I talk to, I think that is becoming more an idea in people's minds anyway. So not an ideal situation, not set to be getting better. And again, that's one of the things that got me so interested in gold and silver back in 2009 when I started really digging into these dynamics following the housing crisis. Of course, there are many different ways people can respond. Yet what I suppose I'd like to point out more than anything is that the situation isn't good. It's not getting better. There is no magic balm here. So at least be aware of that, however you choose to respond. And when you see Joe Biden and others saying that everything is fine, the economy is strong, then why is it necessary for the government to be spending so much money running such large deficits are some questions that I would encourage you to at least think about, regardless of what means of responding you choose to go to. Did have a great article from Craig Kempe of TF Metals that he put on Sprott Money, where he reviewed some of the other statements we've heard from Janet Yellen over the years. Here's back in June 2017. Janet expects no new financial crisis in our lifetimes. Obviously, we had things with COVID back in 2020. You could say who could have predicted that, although I would suggest that the Fed's response was very predictable. And even following that, Janet said she didn't see any inflation problem after rate hike comments roiled Wall Street. Now, this was back in May of 2021. So following everything the Fed did, I think it's reasonable to say that you could have seen that there were some reasons to be concerned about inflation. Uh, certainly, we were talking about it plenty on the show here. Just about every guest I brought on was concerned about inflation back then. So uh, we did indeed get that inflation. And now the latest proclamation is that debt servicing costs will be 1% of GDP for the next decade. I'll add to that a comment that wasn't hers, but you have Ben Bernanke and Hank Paulson back in 2007 and 2008 talking about how subprime was contained. And of course, you had Powell years later talking about him, how inflation was transitory. So again, I know there's people who assume the Fed is on top of these things. Hey, they're much smarter than I am. And that's fair enough. Just pointing out that some of the other things that they've suggested have not quite played out exactly as suggested. So may want to keep that in mind. Here was a comment from Nick Timoros, the Fed whisperer, that we had a clip of him on the show yesterday, where he was suggesting that the 
run up in the U.S. Treasury yields actually may be doing the Fed's job for it and removing the necessity to hike an additional quarter point. Here he has a comment. Fed Governor Chris Waller compares the run-up in Treasury yields to the bank stress events from March. Fed dialed back plan hikes after the Silicon Valley Bank initiated bank stress. Now, once again, financial markets are tightening up. They're going to do some of the work for us. So similar to what Nick's own comments were in that clip I played yesterday. And now you have a Fed governor talking about this and perhaps another example of what was I mean, I don't know whether you want to call what we saw in March and April a financial crisis or not. I suppose you could go either way with that. It did require the Fed to initiate a new funding facility to provide credit. So you could say it was a crisis met by more easing from the Fed. If it wasn't a crisis, why the need for the easing? And here was an interesting comment from Craig Shapiro, who was listening to Chris Waller be interviewed by Paul Ryan. And he mentions... There remains a fundamental misunderstanding about the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency versus U.S. treasuries as a neutral reserve asset. Of course, the world will continue to use the U.S. dollar when necessary for trade, and the U.S. dollar share of trade will remain a majority for a long time, although this is starting to be chipped away as countries engage in bilateral trade. The key that these guys and most in D.C. and Wall Street seem to not be realizing is that the excess dollars earned from trade are not going to be stored in U.S. Treasuries to the degree they have historically given how much value they continue to lose due to accelerating U.S. government budget deficits. For as long as the eye can see in the fear of expropriation, if you find yourself on the wrong side of the U.S. government allies list. So I think that's pretty well stated there because, yes, the U.S. Treasury has been used as the main source of collateral, but now we're seeing the value of those bonds go down let alone the second part that he mentions of other countries being concerned. Will they be on the next round of sanctions? And unfortunately, certainly, as we've seen over the past couple of days, conditions in terms of the geopolitics not getting all that much better and safer. So the idea that there could be more sanctions coming in our future, I think, is certainly something that is behind what you're seeing out of the BRICS as they continue to de-dollarize. So I'm glad he distinguishes here between whether we're seeing the dollar used or whether it's being used as a reserve currency, but also whether the U.S. Treasuries are backing a lot of the storage of that value. And if you don't have the U.S. Treasuries acting as the store of that value, or you have people afraid to use U.S. Treasuries as the store of that value, what do you use? And that's something that brings us back to gold and silver, which have been used for a long time and perhaps better than any other asset class fit what could be used if, if or when the U.S. Treasury is placed in more deeper concern in the market's perceptions. So along with that, in the U.S. Treasuries, where you do have a positive real yield, according to the current CPI figures, of which we had those released earlier this morning, came in a little hotter than expected, although I thought this was interesting. Right at the same time you had U.S. CPI coming out, which had the headline CPI price index up 3.7% from a year ago, core at up 4.1% from a year ago. And just thought it was kind of ironic, this headline here, social security cost of living will be adjusted at 3.2% in 2024, well below this year's record setting increase. So here are some of the ways that you see that 
inflation is still a problem, is not something that has just gone away and certainly going to make the Fed's decisions going forward a lot more complicated, especially as the numbers have been rising in recent months, along with the rise in gasoline prices, along with the rise in oil prices. And quick note here, we'd had the monthly CPI headline come in at 0.4%, above the Dow Jones estimates of 0.3%. Year over year was 3.7 versus expectations of 3.6%. Although if it makes you feel any better, core CPI at 0.3% and 4.1% on the year were in line with the expectations. Had a note here from Vince that I thought was worth passing along as he was commenting on CPI and its still data. The shelter index increased 7.2% over the last year, counting for over 70% of the total increase while rent is in a free fall. So perhaps something that could help bring this down a little bit in the months going forward. Yet Vince mentions if gold remains firm, which it has hung in there so far on the day, along with silver. You can see as of the time of this recording, it's about 10 o'clock now on Thursday, gold up a dollar, silver basically flat on the day. So interesting to see how quickly things have changed in the past couple of weeks where a few weeks ago, basically any data was crushing gold and silver. And now we're seeing even with higher than expected inflation numbers coming out. We also did have the PPI numbers come out yesterday, which came in above expectations. Yet gold and silver hanging in there, which is good to see. And brings us to another comment that Vince had posted in his Goldfix substack, where TD Bank mentioned in precious metals markets, we saw signs of imminent selling exhaustion in the silver markets. After all, CTA selling activity may be running on fumes with the next meaningful selling program requiring a break below the 1950 ounce. And that's something that we talked about as we looked at the COT report over the past couple of weeks where the banks were once again reducing their short position. While the funds were getting more short, you can see as of last Friday, did see another acceleration of that here, the managed money adding 4,200 shorts, selling 3,300 longs while the banks sold 4,300 shorts and also did reduce their uh, long positions by 1,200, although still about a 3,000 contract net increase on the long side. So we are seeing evidence in terms of the hedge funds shorting, perhaps running out of steam and I think that has a fair amount to do with what we've seen in terms of the stabilization of the gold and silver prices this week. Now, in terms of some other Fed news, we did have the Fed minutes released yesterday where they see restrictive policies staying in place until inflation eases. Not entirely surprising that that's what came out of the September meeting. As they mentioned, majority of participants judged that one or more increase in the target federal funds rate would likely be appropriate, while some judged it likely that no further increases would be warranted. That's in line with what Jerome Powell said in his statement and at his press conference. Although we have had some comments to the contrary, as I mentioned, uh, I believe it was on Tuesday, Raphael Bostic, don't think we need to do anything more with rates. There are signs that the economy is starting to slow. And we've heard a couple of the other Fed governors come out with similar statements this week. So certainly the idea that we may see another pause in November is growing. And as we look at the probabilities of the next meeting, we see 
at 87% of a pause again in November, down a little bit from yesterday when it was up to, uh, I believe, 91.5% a pause in September. So in the CPI figure this morning, nudging that down a little bit, although taking a look again at our probabilities, still see an overwhelming favorite that that has been the last hike with three cuts priced in for 2024. Again, I think we're going to have a lot of events happening that are going to impact that, whether that is banking issues or just recessionary issues, as things seem to be getting quite a bit tighter out there. And I think the current environment we're in where rates are just going up, but government and Wall Street narratives suggesting that things are fine and there's nothing going on, I do think that that is going to change. And probably that we'll see some of that change before the end of the year. Now, in terms of some other official data that seems a little more realistic, here was the IMF warning that inflation to remain elevated until 2025. They predicted global inflation to reach 6.9% this year, which would be down from 8.7% in 2022 and 5.8% in 2024. So as much as I wish it were not quite the case, it does seem like these inflation issues Probably I would lean more towards the IMF side here that they are not going to be going away. And again, that's concerning with the whether we have banking issues or a recession or something even more severe that when the Fed reverts to lowering interest rates and printing more money, that probably going to see a lot more inflation, which certainly concerning because I know it's already not easy out there for people to survive some of these things that are going on. Because along with everything else we've mentioned, there was a report out from Deutsche Bank recently where they took a look at the last 34 U.S. economic downturns and identified some of the main triggers that have indicated past recessions. Bad news, all four are flashing red and those four triggers they have an inflation spike. Well, certainly we've gotten that an inverted yield curve. Certainly we've had that for the past year and a half. Uh, rapid rise in interest rates, check mark on that, and an oil price shock. Obviously, we saw that particularly when Russia invaded Ukraine last year, has come down a bit since then, but back up to elevated levels. And of course, with a conflict now in Israel, where we continue to hear Iran mention, now the U.S. is getting closer to getting involved. Certainly not a positive situation for the oil market. I guess if you're long oil, it could be positive, but terms of living conditions and inflation, not ideal what's going on there. So there you have it from Deutsche Bank for inflation triggers. Uh, real quick, back to the COT report, just wanted to show what's been going on in the gold side as well. Here you see the managed money added 16,800 shorts, sold off 14,000 longs, and the banks, again, getting rid of 20,700 short positions. Reducing their longs a little bit, but still more to the long side. So over that period where we saw gold and silver get pummeled pretty thoroughly, not surprising to see that the funds were getting more short while the banks were getting more long, which has once again reversed when we had those conditions. And we will have the latest COT report out again tomorrow. Another note here in terms of the debt. This was another story on Zero Hedge, just way too much debt. This is now the greatest bond bear market in history. And they mentioned, this is a jarring statistic and a poignant reminder of the magnitude of the pain rippling through the financial world. 
a shock which Deutsche Bank last week quantified as $70 trillion mark-to-market hit to duration portfolios. A lot of that you haven't seen priced in because these are in the held to maturity. And as he mentions, while some claim it's not a loss unless you actually sell the bond, the truth is that any bond which is pledged as collateral in the repo markets or elsewhere elsewhere is valued daily. And the cumulative haircut, assuming all eligible duration was pledged, is $70 trillion. So talked about the Bank of America loss that has come in. Wall Street Parade had it marked at $106 billion. Obviously, the Fed has big losses as well. So not insignificant numbers, not entirely surprising given what we've seen in the debt markets, especially after a decade of 0% interest rates. And these are some of the issues the banks are going to have to face, let alone as more of the commercial real estate gets rolled over. So just some of the things to be prepared for that Janet Yellen may not be too concerned about. But lastly, a note here, just wanted to pass along because you see China saved $10 billion by buying cheap oil from sanctioned importers. And this goes back to one of the core Austrian economics tenets, the unintended consequences that often happen when sanctions or tariffs are placed, where U.S. places sanctions on Russia, trying to prevent them from selling oil. And what happens is that now China is buying oil at cheaper prices as it saves $10 billion on imported record volumes of cheaper oil from Russia, Iran, and Venezuela, all three under U.S. and Western sanctions. So... Once again, those sanctions somewhat backfiring and providing basically the opposite outcome of what the U.S. had hoped for. And some of the trends that are probably not going to be going away in the near future and why I agree with Rafi as he's been talking about that he sees us getting closer and closer to some real financial implications. And you can see it happening day by day, unfortunately. So Either case, that's where we are at with all of that. And before we wrap up, I did want to mention some news that we had out of BlackRock Silver, who is one of the kind sponsors and supporters of our show, because they finally had the update to their resource estimate at their Tonopah West flagship location, where they came back with 6.1 million tons, grading 508.5 grams per ton of silver equivalent for a new resource of 100.04 million ounces of silver equivalent. That's up 135% over their maiden resource estimate last year, which came in at 42 million ounces. We've talked quite a bit about how they've been doing step-out drilling to the north and west, where a lot of those ounces were added, as the updated resource is based on a structural reinterpretation of the Victor and DPB areas and incorporated a lot of the drilling information from that Northwest step-out target. And the estimate captures approximately three kilometers of strike along the Tonopah West vein system. And as Andrew Pollard of BlackRock mentions here, they've completed an additional 25,000 meters of drilling and the discovery costs have gone down to 29 cents per silver equivalent ounce, which has allowed them to more than double the resource with no signs of the system stopping both along strike and at depth. I will be catching up with Andrew to get an update from him where we go through some more of the details. So you'll be able to find out more about the update that they just released. This came out on Tuesday after the close, October 10th. Stock was up uh, about 8% yesterday. So great to see the progress that they have made there. I'm going to put the link to this press release in the description field below so you can find out a bit more about that. 
And with that said, going to wrap up for today, but hope you're having a great afternoon, morning or evening, depending on where you may be, but appreciate you checking in to watch today's show. And I will look forward to seeing you a little later. So we'll catch up with you then. Mm -hmm.